Look at the verse where we planted our feet last week. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It was in this verse, what I called the knockout verse last week. You can use the phrase bullseye verse. But I told you, if I had to find one verse that I think best theologically and practically kind of landed the plane on spiritual gifts, it would be this verse. It's loaded, it's chocked full, it's packed full of instruction, exhortation, uh, motivation, theology. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Let's read it together, can we? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 together. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I showed you that in this verse are the three primary things we're looking at in this four-week short summer series. I'll show them on the screen behind me. They're just three simple areas that this verse addresses. First of all, variety. To each one is given. So there's a, there's a sovereign, varied dispensement, we'll call it, distribution, apportioning of gifts, but they all have their source in one spirit. It's the spirit of God. It's the Lord. It's, it's uh, Christ. And that, that passage talks all about it's the same God, the same Lord, the same spirit behind all of them. So it's the manifestation of the spirit, but distributed and seen through a variety of ways. And all of this, of course, is for the profitability of the church at large. That's the phrase, for the common good. So you could say spiritual gifts are summed up, really, in three key words. There's a variety of them. They're all unified by the Spirit, and they're for the good of the whole church. Unity, variety, and profitability. And last week, we looked primarily at the idea of unity. Because as you dive into not only this verse, but the paragraph in which it's tucked, what you find is that in the first 11 verses, Paul's emphasis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that it's the same Lord, the same Jesus, the same God, empowering gifts, services, activities. All of that is from the same source. And so I, I think this first paragraph and this understanding of unity, it's very fundamental to our theological understanding of spiritual gifts, all right? Because we understand first and foremost that they are what kind of gifts? Say it with me. Spiritual gifts. In their source and in their showing, they are by nature spiritual. But what about the variety of the gifts? What about the second word in that label? Spiritual what? Gifts. Let's talk about that this week, can we? The variety within the gifts. This morning, I want to involve ourselves in two things. I want to do some diagnosis first. Let's see what the gifts are, how to categorize them, talk about that, where we agree and disagree, and then let's do some prognosis. What would be a best-case scenario if the gifts were just unleashed in a powerful way at church? Okay, so diagnosis and prognosis. Let's begin right where we are. Your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's read together. I'll read, you follow along, but we'll do it together. How's that sound? Uh, a list of the gifts as recorded in the Bible. Can we do that? We'll start in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll pick up in verse 8. After this peak of the paragraph, which I think is verse 7, he now lists a variety of gifts 
that are all actually manifestations of the one Spirit. He says in verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. There's this idea of variety, and here are nine of the gifts listed. But there are other passages of Scripture where there's more gifts listed. So let's take a look at those. Jump with me to verse 28 of this same chapter, would you? Here, there is some repetition, but there's also some new ones added. Verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So there he's kind of expanding the biblical list. Now let's turn left and go back to Romans chapter 12. In verses 6 to 8 of Romans 12, Paul, who seems to be the, the primary instructor of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, he lists some more gifts here to these believers in Rome. Let's read these verses, Romans 12, 6 through 8. And notice even in these lists here, the variety is kind of, uh, you can see the idea of variety within the, the text. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And I love this instruction. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Again, a little bit of repetition, but some other ones and new ones there. So we see in this third section more of the biblical listing of gifts. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Here is a, another list, again, by the apostle whom? Paul. And we're kind of interrupting a rather long sentence, but I just want to read the list of the four that he mentions here that he gave the church. Ephesians 4.11. The Bible says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now it says here he gave them to equip the saints, and so we'll mention that a little later. But just for now, notice the list of biblical gifts. That's our fourth passage. Let's see one more. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I say it's the fourth one because I looked at, at verse 28 of chapter 12 as kind of a second one, even though they're in the same chapter. So here's our fourth different chapter. Perhaps you could look at it as the fifth listing. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, mainly verses 10 and 11. Look what Peter would write to us here. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, notice the idea of variety there, 
I think what he probably means most textually is in every one of the different gifts, whether they're serving gifts or speaking gifts, and I think by implication, everything else we're doing as well. But the topic here is spiritual gifts. So he's saying in everything that we do with our spiritual gifts, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Say with me, church. Amen. Good practice there. Way to go. So there they are. There's the list in the Bible of what is known as spiritual gifts. Now, let's take some time to to involve ourselves in some diagnosis, all right? Because what you're going to find is that your mind begins to wonder, how do we define these? How do we spot these? Are these around today? I've never seen that. I've never heard of that. And you're going to find there is some disagreement on those. So I'm going to kind of dive into some of this diagnosis, and you're going to find yourself at times saying, I'm not sure I agree with that. Perfectly legit. All right? So let's do that. First of all, let's try to figure out a definition for a spiritual gift, can we? We've seen this list in the Bible. How would you define it? Because the Bible never actually defines spiritual gifts. It only describes them and lists them. It doesn't doesn't give us a Webster's moment. Are you with me? So here's some that I think have been helpful to me. Take a snapshot of this. Here's ones that I think are helpful from guys I've read and things I've studied, commentators, other pastors that I trust. One says it's God's presence with us through another person. One says it's an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively for the strengthening of someone else's faith. You know, as I get a little longer as we go forward, right? The next one's a divinely empowered or spiritually energized potential to minister to the body of Christ by communicating the knowledge, power, and love of Jesus. Here's my preferred definition. That a spiritual gift's a Holy Spirit-empowered enablement to serve the body of Christ that displays, or the word could be manifest, from 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that displays God's presence and power. So I think any of those work, this is my preferred one, because it, it really kind of ties into this really knockout verse, this bullseye verse, that it's Holy Spirit enabled, it's aimed towards the body, And it really is a manifestation of God's presence and power, namely the third person of the Trinity putting God on display. It's God going public through that agent, that avenue of his power. I tend to think, I like this one the best. You'll notice in there that it just simply calls, it's it's, it's called a Holy Spirit-empowered enablement. So I hope you're asking this question. Well, Todd, how come you don't list the 19 that are on this handout you gave us? How come you don't say it's a Holy spirit Uh, ability to do one of 19 things because I don't think the list in scripture is exhaustive I don't now it is wisest for us and our elders would concur with this and you see that on the handout that we only focus our attention on the 19 because we can't go beyond the bible right so are there other things that you would do that might be in the moment empowered by God's spirit in a supernatural way that would make God's presence and power manifest, possibly. But I don't know what those are, so I'm not going to preach about those, okay? What I do know is that in the Bible, the best we can tell, there's about 19 gifts that are mentioned. So we're going to focus on those, and that's why you have that handout in front of you. In fact, do you have it with you? You got one you came in, right? I take a minute, I'm not going to read through that with you or take the time to define those publicly. That's why we printed it for you. 
my goal is to show you that isn't that a beautiful list of incredibly bold variety within the body? I mean, just look that over. You've got talkers. You've got showers. You've got planners. You've got goers. I didn't mean to rhyme on purpose. <laughs> I mean, what an incredibly beautifully bold picture of variety within the body of Christ. In fact, it's so varied that probably some of you are thinking, Todd, you left some off this list. Actually, we may have. It's, the best, it's our best effort so far as elders. Okay? For instance, let me give you an example. The word hospitality in 1 Peter 4. Is that a spiritual gift? We tend to think it is not in the biblical list. Why? Because we think it's more connected to verse 9 where he talks about how to love each other. That's an expression of loving. And then he moves the spiritual gifts in verse 10. But could we be wrong about that? We could be. It actually may be a spiritual gift and maybe we left it off accidentally, so to speak. So you have lots of room here with the person you're next to called your wife or husband, your friend, your neighbor, to disagree with them, the guy on the platform, you can disagree with the folks at your house, and guess what? It will not affect our relationship or our fellowship at all. Are you with me? In fact, I called my dad this week. I call him most every week, and I was talking to him, and he's listening. Uh, he'll be hearing this tonight. So, Dad, I'm talking about you right now, okay? But I said, hey, Dad, of all the years you've heard me preach, just want you to know Sunday will be the week you probably disagree with me the most. And I'm going to go into that story here, except that I said, you know, you're still my hero, I mean, you and mom are, are just class acts, or they're models for me. But we do have some disagreement on the topic of spiritual gifts. And yet, man, my dad and I are close. You with me? So can I just help you relax and breathe? Maybe you think there's 23 gifts. Maybe you think there's 13. Maybe you think some shouldn't be on there. Hey, welcome to the, the debate that's been raging in the church for 1,900 years, right? So let's relax. We can discuss this topic. The key is... Not to try to, in my opinion at least, the key is not trying to figure out which one belongs on the list or we're going to be missing God's will. The key is to realize what a beautifully bold array of varied gifts available in the church. That's what's going on here. And I think that's really Paul's point in, in these passages. He lists various ones at times based on the need of the moment, the need of the congregation, the audience. In the end, I think he arrives at about 19 Holy Spirit-empowered enablements that when God deems necessary, he will sovereignly dispense or apportion or distribute them as he sees best for the good of the church. And he does that by giving them through a person. And so then when you act in that way, whether it's showing mercy or giving or teaching or leading or ruling or serving, suddenly God's presence is manifest. His presence and power is on display. Now, I am by no means saying that this is the only way God's power is displayed, all right? I do want to contend this morning that it's one of the primary ways God's power is on display. Like, I wouldn't argue with you that the fruit of the Spirit is also a powerful display of God's work, wouldn't you? Love, joy, peace. Those are things the Spirit works in us and we display. So amen. So it's not a, an exclusive avenue of God's power and presence, but it is a primary one and a very legitimate one. 
Now, as you think through this list in front of you, as you think about the, what we propose is 19 in the biblical list and how to work through them, a good way to see them is in what I call categories, okay? Let me talk to you about this, talk to you about this for a little bit. We didn't categorize them there, but often people have categorized gifts to help us kind of get handles for them. I think the most effective one is the one that Peter uses in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, in which he says, there are those who have speaking gifts and they should speak as the oracles of God. And then there are those who are serving, they should serve as if in the strength that God gives. So when you're around someone who's using a speaking gift, you're going to sense like, man, this is God speaking to me. When you're around someone using a servant gift, you're going to feel like, wow, how in the world do they do this? They just have endless energy. They just continue to serve. It seems like they should stop or take a break. But God's presence and power is coming out in those moments, whether it's a speaking or a serving gift. And I don't think that Peter in this passage prioritizes a certain one. He just says that the gifts tend to fall in one of these categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Again, showing variety. Some have used three labels to categorize gifts. They use the word sign to indicate miraculous gifts that verify the message. So sign gifts, speaking gifts, and then serving gifts. Somewhat helpful. Others have talked about gifts in what they call word-oriented and deed-oriented. It's very repetitious of speaking and service, by the way, but a different way to say it. Uh, There have been those who have categorized gifts this way. There are motivational gifts, which they would say you have one primary motivational gift. It describes and kind of gives um, uh, kind of energy to everything you do. So you have one gift that motivates you, and then you do a lot of different things out of that one gift. They would say that you have a motivational gift, and then you have a manifested gift. That could be a lot of different ones at different times. Uh, I've heard of folks talk about gift mixes. You have a primary gift, what they call your dominant gift. And then you have secondary gifts, maybe uh, those that are maybe not as evident. So these are just categories. They're, they're helpful. Here's what they do for us, though. Seeing gifts in categories, which I think Peter does in this chapter, helps us retain a biblical focus that there is a variety. Watch this, though. But it allows us gracious freedom. To do what? To actually disagree. Does that make sense? So we're going to all agree that, man, the gifts have varied functions and they look different, but their aim is the same. The good of the body, the edification of the church, the, 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 the proclamation of Christ's name. Yeah, that's what the gifts are for. So we gather around that unity, even though we agree, okay, there's a lot of variety. Even in the variety, we may see some things differently. Within the area that we see things differently is the current, and I would say long-standing debate about are all the gifts available. So let's just take the 19 that we put together, feel like is a good representation of the biblical list. Are all of those actually available today? That's the question you have to answer in one of two ways. You can either say, well, I believe they're continuing today. If you believe that, you would be a continuationist. Or I believe some of those those gifts have have ceased. They're not in play today. You would be a cessationist. And so it's one of the current, and I think it's been going on for centuries, the the debate is, are all the gifts available or are they not? The debate is between continuationism, 
versus cessationism. And again, I've told you to relax, take a deep breath. Godly people can disagree, right? This is one of those places where there'll be disagreement even in this room. I personally am a continuationist. Our church officially is a continuationist church. We believe all the gifts are available. I would say we probably are on the cautious conservative side of that spectrum. Because even in this debate, you find that people are on all sides of, of, their, of their side. Does that make sense? They're landing on one part of their spectrum. So on the continuationist spectrum, you find those who are conservative continuationists, cautious continuationists, who would say all the gifts are available, but their deployment must be biblical. We don't manufacture things. Then you find those who I would say are, are manufacturing continuationists. They're going to make it look like God's using all these gifts every time they gather together because they, that, that's just the um, way that is. So you probably know what I'm talking about, right? And so you have a wide spectrum of continuationists. You also have a wide spectrum of cessationists. Those who would feel like, well, certain gifts aren't available, but God could show up and use those if he wanted to. That's what they say. Or those who say, no, God has said they're done. The apostolic era, era is over. The word of God's completed, so those gifts will never be used. You can probably poke holes in any end of that spectrum and the middle. I think the thing I, I would bring to you is this. I have yet to find, and I think every cessationist would, would agree with this, it, it's impossible to find a place in the Bible that says all, that certain of the gifts have ceased. The only place you find the reference to that is 1 Corinthians 13. Where it says, when the perfect has come, there'll be no more need for prophecy or for tongues. I see the perfect as the coming of Jesus. So when Jesus comes, my take, my stand is, we won't need those gifts anymore. We'll be with him. Amen? Until that time, I say the wide variety, the nice, big, bold, color stripe known as the variety of the gifts is all in play. And I am a cautious continuationist. But I am a continuationist. Now, let me just explain to you a couple things. As we look at chapters 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, which is, we're kind of tucked into chapter 12 here. This is the best place to go to figure out which, on which side of, the debate, of this debate you land, all right? And I'll tell you that because this, I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want Jay to say, well, here's what Todd said. I want Jay to, to go to the word and based on the, the scriptures, the authorial intent, the culture, the background, the language, to say this is where I land on this issue. I want Jay to know where he lands because of what God's word says. I'd love to say to you we're all going to land in the same place, but we're not. There is one right meaning, by the way, but we probably yet to perfectly discover it on this one. So I don't want you to hear from me and say, well, this is where Todd lands. I just trust him. I'm good. Or the church says this. I want you to dig into the word. That's the best way, the best way for you to know really where you kind of land on, on spiritual gifts. And are they available, all of them today, or are they not? And where are you on that spectrum? I went through this probably 23 years ago out of a, a deep frustration and just not seeing God's power displayed in the church. And I'm not saying it's God's issue. Not at all. But just watching my own lack 
and shortcomings. Like, where's this power that I read about? And I, I'll be honest with you, I still row that boat. I find I have a high level of frustration with what I think is um, the inability of many American churches to see God's power when they gather. And that's an indictment on me as your pastor more than anything. I can't fix it. I can't even hardly understand it. But often I get weary of all of our man-made efforts to solve our problems. So this is another whole message. I'm getting, I don't want to go there. So I, I continue in this journey of frustration. Where is God's power when the church gathers? And how can we make room for that and see that? So I'm no magic chef on that, okay? But out of that decade-long frustration has come this understanding that I am a continuationist believing that all the gifts are available. So you're probably thinking to yourself right now, well, Todd, so, man, we've never had anybody speak in tongues here. Like, you're saying you're a continuationist? Have you spoken in tongues? Do we do that here? And I don't know what that looks like or what it means. Like, I'm really kind of like, oh, I do believe in the gift of tongues. I think it's a legitimate biblical gift. I believe it's a known language that God can use either to edify the church when an interpreter is present or I also believe it's a private prayer language that edifies you so that as you then engage the church, you're more sanctified and encouraged and built up for that task. I say that because I believe an angelic language is a known language. It's just not known to you at the time. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He says that, right? So some believe he's being sarcastic. I don't. I think he's actually saying there is an angelic language and God could gift you with that in a private way that's beneficial to you. But if that's done in the church and there's not an interpreter, there's no benefit because we're all thinking, man, what in the world are you saying? Right? Which is why Paul demands that in the corporate gathering there must be an interpreter. In fact, Paul does this in these chapters, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, which I think if you were to read them, it'd be the best place to start to figure out where you land. Paul says this, that interpreted tongues are actually the functional equivalency of prophecy. And in those chapters, prophecy is the most mentioned gift. It's the one most beneficial to the church. So before you say, well, those gifts scare me. I've got bad experiences. I don't understand them. Don't let your fears or your preferences or your background make your decision. Let God's word make your decision. And I tend to think that the gift of tongues, properly understood and defined, is an available gift. You see, here's the thing, guys. Paul was writing these chapters in which he discusses things like tongues or prophecy to correct their misuse. He did not write to encourage disuse. And we think that. We think, oh, if something's scary or kind of out in left field, I've not experienced it, or if it looks like it's dangerous, you know what? I'm just going to shut it down. We'll just say it doesn't exist, that God doesn't use it anymore. But the, the key to correcting misuse isn't disuse. It's teaching proper use. And this is what Paul does. Read those chapters, 11 through 14, begin with the Lord's Supper and goes to the end about the corporate gathering. And in each case, he's saying, guys, you're doing it wrongly. Here's how you should do it. Like, for instance, in prophecy. I do believe in the gift of prophecy. 
I think it's not only a foretelling of God's truth, very beneficial to the church, but I think there are moments in which it is a foretelling. I think Agabus in, in Acts twice is gifted with this, and it benefits the whole church. One is in the situation with a famine. Another is in Paul's journey to Jerusalem. And in both times, the church at large was benefited. It's spontaneous information that you could not have known otherwise. It's not special revelation. So I don't maintain that prophecy is on the level of Scripture at all. When given in that way as spontaneous information that one could not know otherwise but could benefit the church, it has to have some filters. One of those is church authority, which is why Paul would say if someone has a prophecy, he should have it kind of weighed by other prophets and the elders. So if you look at 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, what you're going to find is this variety of gifts isn't just some unleashed, chaotic uh, bandwidth of things that no one understands, but you've got to make room for everybody, let them just have their own way, and it's this weird environment. It's actually a very structured, orderly gathering in which the variety is showcased. But it's not just wild. No offense to VBS, all right? It's actually structured and orderly, which is why twice, as 1 Corinthians 14 closes, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. Our God is not a God of confusion. So when you hear this list of gifts and you think, well, I don't get that one or that one, I understand these, don't let your fears and preferences and backgrounds and, and experiences dictate what you believe. Go to the Bible first, especially these four chapters, and let God's word settle the matter. My opinion is, and I'll say this humbly to you. My opinion is, I think you'll land in a continuationist point of view. Understanding that this is really the aim of the spiritual gifts. They're all available because that's the variety God intended for the body. Now, I gave you another handout. It's on the back of that one you have. They're all in one sheet, but on the back of the one that has the definitions, you'll see that there's a comparison of continuationism and cessationism. Just read through that. And then below that, you'll find a list of books that will help you kind of process that. Here's some of them on that list. I left them up here on the platform today. Um, you can come by afterwards and look through these. Please don't take these uh, by your own. But those are the ones that I'm using. And I, lo I love those books. There's other ones listed. And there's some on that list that are on both sides of this. Okay? I just want to share with you where I was, where our church is, and also how we kind of work with some of these gifts that are hard to understand. Now maybe you're asking yourself, Todd, why does this matter? And here I'm going to really kind of come right in front of you face to face, okay? I'm going to talk to you just straight up. And this would be, and I don't know if there's any in this room, but I know that uh, fellow pastors and I, we, you know, debate throughout the week. We talk back and forth throughout the months. We go back and forth on things. And I would say, what I'm about to say is a soft caution to my cessationist friends. When you eliminate variety, you undermine vitality. Again, it's a soft caution here. I think all of our hearts are right. We definitely love the Lord. Men and women are gospel-centered who have differences here. But I just want to kind of bring this to the table in an honest, theological, biblical, biblically-based hermeneutical way. The Bible 
indicates that when you eliminate variety, you begin to undermine vitality. So what do you mean, Todd? I find in a very striking portion of Scripture at the end of first, excuse me, Ephesians 4, where he lists four of the gifts. Look at this with me, would you? He says that these gifts that were given to the church, these four, they were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word equip there means to set a bone in place. When something's out of joint, you kind of put it back in place. So these gifts are given to the church so that the church could operate in its fullest form in the most effective manner for the building up of the body till we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at this next phrase. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we're not children tossed around. What you get is this impression in this clear sense that he's, the variety of the gifts leads to the maturity of the body. And so if all the gifts aren't available, I wonder what are we doing to the, to the vitality of the body? Can maturity, the fullness of the measure of Christ, the, the equipping, can all of that really occur if we're saying, oh, but these four, these three, these six, they're not available. So as a soft caution to my cessationist friends and my dear brothers who see this differently, I would want to bring you this word. Could it be that perhaps one of the reasons some of our churches are struggling in their health is because we've eliminated one of the primary ways God brings, God brings health to the church through the variety of the gifts. Because variety is one of the avenues by which God brings vitality. You see this back in our main text. Let's look back there, 1 Corinthians 12. Look at the end of verse 25. He says that the gifts in their variety, and he has talked about them already, were given so that there would be no division in the body. That word there is schism, or it means disease, separation. Um, so that shouldn't happen, but instead they should have the same care for one another. And this verse is on the heels of talking about the variety within the body. Of these very miraculous gifts, many folks want to eliminate so again, twice we see that variety is really one of the avenues towards vitality. We need all people. We need all gifts, all empowered by one spirit so that there is church-wide, body-wide help. And here he's not talking about the same amount of care, by the way. One should not say, well, man, they got a, a phone call and a visit and a bunch of meals. All I did was get a letter. He's not talking about the same amount of care. He's talking about the fact that there is care from all the different people. That we're just caring for each other in all kinds of different ways. That's what's going on here. So I, I just want to kind of nudge you here. If you're not sure where you land, consider these scriptures. If you think perhaps that some have ceased, can I just kind of nudge you to think through? Could it be that our elimination of some of the varieties actually undermined our very vitality? This is why I am a continuationist. I think they all matter. I was so blessed Thursday. Maybe it was Wednesday, but I got a call about Will Figueroa having an emergency appendectomy. So I checked in with Holly via the phone, only to find out while she was talking to me, Keith's down to the hospital, just sitting there with the family. Now, I don't think we're that different. We may be. The point there wasn't necessarily that it was different in the sense that 
he did something I couldn't do in that sense or I did something he couldn't do. It was that there was a variety. The body was caring for each other. He's down there alive and in person. What blessing to that family and to me and to our church. Carmen Bowl, think about her right now. She's recovering from an aneurysm. She wasn't on with life. She's now at home. I love the picture I saw of her small group just there and on with life a few weeks ago with her. And as I'm sharing these two stories, you're thinking of ones in your life and in your arena where other folks have come in from the body to minister and serve you. That's God's way. And the way that happens is when he gifts us in a variety of ways as a variety of people so that the church at large benefits. So I don't want to do anything to even unintentionally undermine variety to eliminate it because I think when we do we, we begin to unintentionally attack vitality and this is where I want us as we close to start thinking about the prognosis aspect what would it look like if we all were just open to God's spirit gifting us in whatever way he deemed necessary for the good of that moment the good of the church what if can you imagine what a beautifully powerful and glorious church would exist? I think we've underestimated perhaps the beautiful brushstroke of variety. Could it be that that's one of the reasons we've experienced when I say we, just church, churchdom in general, we've experienced a lack of some vitality because we've got in our minds the one way it has to be. But I'd remind you that without variety, unity is nothing more than uniformity. Without variety, profitability is nothing more than one personality. Without variety, the common good becomes the mono good. Without variety, we move from a kaleidoscope to more like a telescope, and we see it just one way. Without variety, we move from 4K color to like black and white tube TV. May the church long for the variety of the gifts and the full spectrum of God's colorful work in the body of Christ. You can picture it this way as we tie this all together. That unity speaks to the depth of our gifts. They're from one well, the well of the Holy Spirit. Variety speaks to the breadth or the width of our gifts. They're dispensed individually in a variety of manners. And profitability speaks to the extent of our gifts' impact. In other words, Here's one well, we have many water givers and then they're giving it out and thirsty people are satisfied. So let's just kind of use this as a bow to kind of uh, wrap this package all together. What we've been saying this morning about variety, unity, profitability, how does it fit within the framework of this knockout verse and so forth? Here, here's, a, here's a key take home truth today to take with you about variety, the variety in the gifts. That variety is the beautiful bridge between both profitability and unity. It's, it's God's intentional design 
So when you look at the gifts in the body, don't, don't assume, well, we don't need that and we don't need that and that's not like me. Variety is God's intentional design. And it's the beautiful bridge between both unity and profitability. In fact, when you stand on this bridge, you can look back at unity and see why and how we need it. And you can look forward to profitability and see why and how we need it. And if you get off this bridge of variety, God's work among us in all kinds of ways, you'll begin to be kind of myopic, singularly focused in a negative way. So I want to encourage you and see the beauty of the variety in the gifts. So while we're prognosticating here, Let's just go one step further and imagine, if we could, what it's going to be like around the throne that day when after a variety of people in the church have used the variety of their gifts, what do we see around the throne? A variety of people, don't we? The scripture says that around the throne there'll be people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. Isn't that beautiful? You see, heaven's going to be a beautifully bold place of variety. Someone from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. And so across the globe this morning, you know what God's doing? God is gifting his children in a variety of ways, in a variety of places, so that they would worship one name, his. That's a healthy place. And I tend to think, and would contend with you, in fact, that real maturity that comes from real variety always leads to real mission. And the point of real mission is true worship. So if you were to back this all the way up, how do we get missional people concerned that everyone worship the name of Christ? We've got to make sure we're mature people. How do we really lean toward maturity? We've got to make sure they have a variety of gifts. They're kind of like a, ch- a train here, each hitched to the other. Variety, maturity, mission, worship. One day there'll be a variety of people all worshiping the Lord together. All, from all across the globe. I say we get used to that by embracing the variety of the gifts that God has put in the body for the good of the whole church. Here's a prayer. I want you to pray with me as I close. In fact, would you bow your heads with me and just pray this silently with me? I'll read it to you. I wrote it this week in my journal as I was thinking through how I wanted to apply this. Here's what I said to the Lord. I just want to ask you to say this in your heart. Oh God, may we appreciate your intentional design of variety. Empowered by your one Holy Spirit for the ultimate worship of your one holy name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.